I hope you have your Bible. And like we have the last several weeks, I'm going to point you to that passage in Matthew chapter 5, where we've been studying upside down living and what it's actually about, specifically in relation to Christ teaching from the Beatitudes in this larger sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And up to this point, the primary focus has been on our state, meaning I am poor in spirit, I mourn, and out of those things I learn to be gentle and meek. And these messages have been convicting. But now the weight is going to shift just a little bit as we've learned that hunger and thirst for righteousness actually will lead us somewhere else. As we become more gentle, as we become more humbler, the hungry for God becomes something different. And what you're capable of being and doing are found in this passage. So today we're going to look at the joy of forgiving others. And hopefully you are keeping in mind a truth that the Beatitudes do not tell you how to become a Christian. Rather, they show what true kingdom people are like. And the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 5, they work like a mirror. They're not a compass. So they don't point us how to. What they do is they say, what is there? So it invites you to come closer, to take a look in the mirror, to examine yourself. And I don't know about you, but mirrors can be rough. They're really rough in the morning and the evening for me. And I just can't imagine, like James said, you know, James says, looking in a mirror and there's walking away. I can't imagine walking up. You should be glad that I didn't walk up in front of the mirror this morning and go, wow, I ought to do something about that and just get dressed and come to church. And that's spiritually, that's what he's referring to. The Beatitudes point us to what is actually there. And today we're going to look at this issue of forgiveness and mercy. So we've been clearing up the fog. And one of the fogs that we sometimes can have is that our belief systems get challenged because our life living actually may look different than what we say we believe. We get a, give assent to certain belief, to to uh, what we think we believe, but does our lives really reflect the principles of Matthew chapter 5? Or is it more like a system where Jesus impacts small matters in your life in small ways, but you're actually more like Popeye. You go, I am what I am. He said, I am what I am. And that's all that I am. Christ draws us to more. So you either know you're poor in spirit You either mourn your sin, you've learned that gentleness is possible out of that, and you hunger and thirst for more, for the right things, or it could be that these things are absent. What may be driving you is your own value system, but it's not Christ. And this can lead to a delusion that all is right with God when actually it sincerely may not be all right with God. So kingdom people learn to live upside down. There's an upside down living element here. So in Matthew chapter 5, let's look again at the passage, 
beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Then look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want to show you today that mercy matters. And it leads you to a place, a place that we all are going to need living in a sin-broken world. It matters. In fact, without mercy, there's no forgiveness. I hope you know that. God acted in mercy toward us so that we could know the forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And without forgiveness, there's no enduring joy. God wants you to know the joy of forgiveness and the part that mercy plays in this. It is no small thing. It is here, right next to the hungering and thirsting for righteousness that marks kingdom people. So, since it does matter, since mercy matters, I'm going to give you two fundamental reasons first why mercy actually matters in your life. First, it's this. God, if you want to know him, God is mercy revealed. It is his very nature. Now, I, want you, I know that we, you've been around here long enough. We are high on orthodox teaching in this church. And the moment that I say that mercy is God revealed, it's his very nature, you go, well, wait, 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 Brian. God is holy. Yes, he is. God is omniscient. He knows all. Yes, he's um, uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He is all power. He is holy. He's unlike us. And you, your emphasis on those things, however, may lead you away from how God actually reveals himself. Now, I'm going to point you to Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6. But I'm just going to give you quickly the background of this. In Exodus Exodus in the Old Testament is what Romans is to the New Testament. Brad Bigney loves Romans. Because it is quintessential. It is the gospel of God. But in the Old Testament, you may not know this, but Exodus holds a place for the Jews That pointed them to understand, this is what God did for us. This is a redemptive plan for us. And if you do not know about Moses, Moses was that guy that God used to lead his people out. And God and Moses, they were tight. Moses loved God. He looked to God. And Moses walked with God in such a way where he said, Lord, I want to see you. In other words, I want to really see you for who you are. I want, to get a, I want to get a look at you. And if you know the story, God said, you can't look at me. Now, this is unfamiliar for us in the 21st century because we think a lot more about ourselves than what the Scripture shows that we actually are. That somehow that we can look at God. God and his perfections you cannot look at. It will strike you dead. 
Now, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It's beyond the realm of our finite minds. But God's perfections are so great, we could not. His glory is so wonderful, we couldn't stand it. But because God is merciful, and Moses said, I want to see you, God says, can't happen, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You come up to the mountain, I'm going to stick you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by. And I'm, I'm going to shield you, and then you can see my back as I go by. Can you imagine that? God says, I'm going to let you see me, the back. And as God passes by in Luke, uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 6, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, talking about Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You know how God shows himself to Moses? God shows himself, I am merciful. In his very essence, shining on Moses is that this is a God like no other and he is merciful. Otherwise, we'd be all struck dead. It's fundamental if you're going to understand why mercy matters. God is God of the God of mercy. It's his very nature. Secondly, being merciful and receiving mercy, receiving God's mercy, they're linked together. Now look at that verse again, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the Bible, there are places that are deep waters. So I want to invite you just for a few minutes to venture out into me, with me to the deep waters of this thing that's called conditional grace. And Before your mind goes like that, like mine does when I think about this, there is unconditional grace. It's God acting on our benefit with his love and his mercy, and he gives to us what we could never deserve, and that's salvation through Jesus Christ. But many of us don't understand that an honest look at the Bible will show that there are places that there is, you get this when you do this. Conditional grace. Let me show you, Romans eight twenty-eight. You know it, you've heard us talk about it from the New American Standard, God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we love to stick our, stick our life in the first part, part. God causes all things to work together for good. And Can I get an amen from that? Amen, that's right. But right in there, it says, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There is a tipping element, a switch, in that of condition. In other words, not everyone is going to know the great fruit of understanding that God is working all things for your good and His glory if you don't know Him and if you do not love Him. Yeah, it's, it's hard to hear. John Piper says that what happens is we have a tendency as people to gravitate 
the religious do to rules. It kind of goes like this. Don't do this. Make sure you do that. It's the trivial stuff. All you have to do is look at the Pharisees in the Bible to see how this works. When Jesus paints the picture of what a neighbor looks like, he paints it using an example of a person that the Jews could not have imagined anybody having mercy toward, a Samaritan. And that Samaritan is taking the person who on the road is beat up and left for dead, and that Samaritan picks him up, takes him into the village, leaves money with the innkeeper, cares for him. All the needs are met. Now, you and I may not really grasp this because we were not Jewish in the time of Jesus, but all you got to do is begin to imagine the most despised and rejected person that you could know, Jesus would have him at the center of the story. He's the one that's giving mercy. Listen, if a Samaritan was on fire, a Jew would not spit on him to try to put the fire out. But he's the one. He's the one that's at the center of the story. He's the one that's receiving mercy. See, being merciful and receiving mercy are linked together. And they can be unsettling for us. But it's here. It's all through the New Testament. Because mercy has visited us, if we're kingdom people, we will be merciful and forgiving. James chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Justice is without mercy for those who show no mercy. Wow. Justice is without mercy for those who show no mercy. And then Jesus ends the story of the unforgiving debtor in Matthew chapter 18 that we know. You remember that guy? This is the guy that owned an unrepayable debt, a debt so far beyond that dozens of people lumped together could not have paid this debt. And what did the king do? He brings the guy in and he releases him from the debt. And that guy goes out and the first thing he does is he finds somebody that owes him some money and he begins to beat him and says, repay me, repay me, repay me. And if you know the story, Jesus said in verse 35, that man is called back in and the king says basically this, you should have forgiven, I forgave you. And there's punishment that follows. Mercy and receiving mercy are linked together. Turn one page over, probably some of your Bibles, one page over to chapter 6. You guys know the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may have been raised reciting it. Look at verse 12. As we pray... Jesus instructs us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look at verse 14 and 15 that we leave out. We, we, leave, we conveniently leave it out. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Wow. 
It's replete. It's here. We can't get away from it. Mercy, giving mercy, and receiving mercy, yes, are linked together. We have the unconditional love and the grace given to us in Jesus Christ, but it is not to just set you on a road to where you're condemning other people. And some kind of level of self-righteousness, God intends his mercy to change how you do others in your life. You're merciful. So if this is such a big deal, if it really matters and has major implications, how do you become a person of mercy? And I want to show you some very practical things that you and I can do, how, how you can become a person of mercy. First this, you and I must embrace that mercy is not an option. It's not an option because you've been given mercy. Because mercy has visited you, you are able to give it. So if you find yourself as a person that's actually probably described by, your, by others that know you well, that you can be harsh or you're stoic or you're cynical even critical, you may have lost the connection to where mercy should fit in your life. But mercy is foundational in understanding really how you came to Christ. You do not come to Christ without mercy. God did not give you what you deserved. All of us, from a scriptural standpoint, before a holy God, we deserve, if we got what we deserve, we would get judgment and separation for eternity. And we tend to forget the actual truth. Here is the actual truth. You and I are actually sinners. I'm actually a sinner. And there's no buts. You know what I mean by that? No buts. The no buts is about other people's sins. I find lots of people who can confess I'm a sinner. They have a hard time not throwing in a but or two. Your temptation may be to insert a but, 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 but I don't do that or I've not done that, but I'm glad I'm not that. Now you may not ever say that, but it's in you. You you know it, it's down in there. You see yourself, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. And when you insert buts, What that actually may tell you, that you and I need to go back and mourn our own sin. Mourn our self-righteousness. Mourn that we've not grown in humility and gentleness and hunger for what only God can give. And what God gives and what he has given us for those who have called on the name of Jesus, what he gave us was his righteousness. It's not yours, it's his. And it's yours by a free gift. It belongs to you as a gift. Why did that come to you? Because God was merciful to you. And he's merciful to me. Sinners that come to grips that God's mercy rescued them. You know what they'll do? They'll begin delivering mercy to other people. When you know that no one is more needful of mercy than you are, what it does for you is it launches you. It becomes your new mantra. You get it. You begin rejoicing. 
You start flying this flag of joy over the castle of your heart because the king has given you his righteousness. But we lose sight of it. And we lose sight that kingdom people are to be merciful people. One of the reasons why that happens is because we're hurting. You've been hurt and you've delivered hurt to others. So I believe one of the ways that you become more merciful is you've got to begin bringing your hurt to God. You've got to bring your real, deal, deep pain, the struggle you face right now. It looks like this, for just depending on who you are in the room, it's those disappointments and shattered dreams. It's for the individual who sits in the room who remembers the day where they said, I do in commitment to somebody else, only to find out later that the other person did not. The I do's become I don't. And their hearts shattered and broken. Psalm 34, 18 reminds us though, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. He's near to you. You're brokenhearted. He stands ready. There's people who who have despair today. You've been that person that begs somebody else for mercy and you know what you received. You did not receive mercy back. And then those carry shame and regret. I'll tell you what shame and regret can look like. Shame and regret can be what you've done by your own hands and what others have done to you. You've been used. You know what it's like to be told you're worthless. And some of you, what's happened is the way you've dealt with that is you've got this defense mechanism that worked in your life. And then you've made some kind of level of peace with it where you go, oh, they're just ignorant. Those people are ignorant. That person was ignorant. They didn't know how, 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 they, how they were doing me. But when you look close at your life, you actually are angry and you've actually got a heart of rebellion because you want to do your own thing your own way. And you harbor this shame and this regret. So what do you do when you're disappointed? What do you do when you have despair? What do you do when you have shame and regret? You pack up your bags and you come honestly to the throne of grace and you are honest with God. You say the truth about you. And the truth about you is that you may really have a very real temptation, even a gripping desire to be unforgiving and you harbor some level of bitterness about what's happened in your life. Things have not turned out as you hoped. But here it is that kingdom people are merciful. But it's absent. And only when you bring your real self will you begin to know what it means to be set free. And only when you begin absolving others of the responsibility of your bitterness will you begin to be set free. Some of you, you have been victimized And here's what's happened to you. May I say this gently to you? You've stayed right there. You've been victimized and you've stayed right there. You've defined yourself as a person who's been abused, 
hurt, and you carry shame, and that defines you. And Jesus never intended your life to be defined by other people's sin against you. God wants to set you free. free. He wants to show you that his love actually can set you free from a victim mentality. But you got to come honestly. You got to bring it. You got to bring all of it. So, what you do when you bring it is you begin doing what the scripture shows us with forgiveness, which means that you got to consistently pursue both. Now, hear me when I say both. You got to pursue both the attitude and actions of forgiveness. Now, this involves a vertical nature. Forgiveness always involves a vertical nature and a horizontal nature. When I say pursuing both the attitude and action of forgiveness, I want to show you really what I mean by this. Forgiveness involves working with God first. So this is toward God. This is the vertical piece. And I believe that we see in Scripture, action is the first step. Action. Action looks like this with God. You confess the truth, and you begin repenting of it, meaning that you begin to agree with God. Confession means to agree with God. You've heard me say this. Agree, agree, agree. God knows the truth. Agree with what God says about your life. And begin turning away from sin, meaning that part of you, that when it comes to mercy, that you may be unmerciful, you may be hard, You may have an unforgiving part of you. Turn away from it. Turn away from everything that's contrary to the character of Christ. The action begins vertically with God. And then there's this attitude. The attitude that you carry because God visits you with forgiveness. You carry this attitude with God. Because you're bankrupt. Because you mourn your sin. Because you grow in humility and you learn to hunger and thirst for walking in fellowship with God, you basically begin to adopt this attitude. God does not give me the option to grow bitter. I will not grow bitter. I will not resent others, even those who are so unlike me that I don't get what they do. I'm going to give them mercy. And I'm going to get real close here for a second, okay? And some of you got people in your mind that's hurt you. But other people, they've not really hurt you. They're just different than you. You're unmerciful to people who are different than you. Different political affiliations. Or they dress differently than you. Or drive different cars than you do. You are unmerciful toward them. You don't carry a heart attitude that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 11. So we need to look at this. Mark chapter 11. Turn over. uh, And you're in Matthew. The next gospel is Mark. So turn to Mark chapter 11. When I tell you that there are two elements of forgiveness, one of them is this heart inclination with God... In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is giving us instructions about prayer. Down and look at verse 24. 
Jesus said, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received and it will be yours. And then he tells us in verse 25, and whenever you stand praying. Now, everybody, everybody look at me just for a second. It's not necessarily just literally standing, but standing, sitting, lying, whatever you're doing. Whenever you're praying, look at what Jesus says. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What Mark is talking about here, and Jesus is referring to, is this heart attitude that you are ready to forgive. Your prayerful attitude is always to carry an, an, an attitude, Lord, there is nothing that anyone else has done to me that I have not sinned against you. I have sinned against you greatly. May I have a heart attitude of forgiveness, of gentleness, of humility, of being merciful to those who sin against me. You cannot stand as kingdom people and be praying and being in the will of God, pursuing the will of God, and have an attitude of bitterness toward others. The heart attitude is that others that have sinned against you, you stand ready to give forgiveness. Secondly, so you have this vertical piece there, and there's the horizontal piece. So with God, it's action and attitude. With people, it's attitude, then action. When your attitude is forgiveness with, because of what God has done, it translates into an attitude that you are actually ready to forgive. Because your heavenly Father is ready to forgive. You are open and you are approachable. And I want to ask you a question. How open and approachable are you to the person who sins against you? How about the person that sins against you not once or twice, but seven times a day? Do you know that Jesus told Peter, if, if someone comes to you and, and sins against you, rebuke him, and if he confesses, and repents, forgive him, and to do it over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but by the third or fourth time, I'm going, this guy's not real serious, right? But we're commanded to forgive. Do you have an attitude that does not punish others, even when it costs you dearly? Then there's the action piece. In Luke chapter 17, verse 4, the action piece is that you're ready to forgive when asked and you release people from their guilt. Even when it's over and over and over again, Jesus says you must forgive. This is releasing people of further responsibility and maybe even justified anger that you feel inside. You are ready to forgive. You don't punish people. You don't give them that look. You know that stink eye look you give people? When they displease you, kingdom people grow into being merciful people. Not giving the world or people around you what, what you think they deserve. 
So I want to show you two steps you can take right now. So there was an attitude and an action there with other people and with God. But there's two steps that you can take right now to begin experiencing the joy of forgiveness and living it out with other people. First is this, what we've already been, what hopefully you're hearing me say is that we've got to be constantly reliving the forgiveness that you received in order to transform the, reli- the forgiveness you give. Relive the forgiveness you received in order to transform the forgiveness you give. Now we're going to spend just a few moments in Ephesians chapter 2 through 4. So I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn over to the book of Ephesians. Where Brad loves Romans, Pastor Brian also loves Romans, but I love Ephesians. Because in it we see the believer's identity and then some very practical things about us theologically. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's where you can relive the forgiveness you've received. Chapter 2, verse... Four through seven. Look with me. Paul said, but, but God, you've heard Brad talk about the but God moments. Oh, you've got to just look for them over and over again in the New Testament. But God, showing contrast to what our state was, God acts. And here's one of those places, one of the big ones. But God being rich in mercy. Now, have you ever paused and thought? Paul could have said, But God being merciful. That's not what he says. He says God is rich in mercy. Rich. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and you've been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, God does not just act merciful. He's rich in mercy. And because of this great love, he's motivated toward us. He moves toward us, even when we were dead. As a reminder, what do dead people do for you? They can't do anything for you. But what does God do when people can't do anything for him? He moves toward them. He's moved toward you. And he gives you mercy. He doesn't separate you for eternity. He makes you alive together for Christ. And even though you're sitting in this room right now, if you call on the name of the Lord, part of you is sitting in the heavenly places right now with Jesus. I don't understand it. I just know it's true. And it all started with mercy. Relive the forgiveness you've received. How God acted on your behalf. Secondly, ask God to help you to be putting to death every merciful attitude and action in your life. So that you become more like Christ. Every unmerciful attitude. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Paul tells us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. He just stacks the descriptors on. It could be 
It, it could be bitterness. It could be wrath. It could be anger. It could be clamoring about and slander. These things got to be put away from us, including all the malice. You know what that malice is? Malice is that hateful attitude that's in your heart. He says, put it away. Put it away from you. That's what I'm saying. You've got to be putting it to death. I am convinced as long as you live in this broken world, in that broken body, and you mourn your sin, and you know that you're spiritually bankrupt without Jesus, here's the reality. You are going to be tempted to have these things present. That's why you've got to be killing it. And you're never ever going to put it completely to death until Jesus rescues you from that body. But we got to be putting it to death. And he says, and then he says, be kind, tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Everybody in this room is not married. Everybody in this room, though, has relationships. But I'm really going to talk to married people just for a moment. You have a brick wall in your life between you and your mate, some of you. You never intended for your relationship to become cold and indifferent. It may not be open hostility, but what you've done is there's been disappointment. You reached and grabbed a brick. You built this, start building this wall. And then that person spoke unkindly to you or spent money that they did not need to be spending. And you grabbed that brick and you built that wall. And you've just built this wall because they're not like you and they don't see things just like you. Through the years, indifference, coldness, coolness, you don't recognize what your marriage is, but there it is. And there's resentment. And here it is that Paul comes along and says, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. You're, you're not kind. You're harsh. You're disappointed. And you've built these walls that do not reflect kingdom life. Without mercy, we're all in trouble. Your, your marital relationship needs mercy. You'll look at your life differently when you begin dealing with one another with mercy. Not giving them what they deserve, but giving them what they could never earn grace. But never, ever trying to be anything other than reflective of the character of Jesus being merciful. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. He releases us from our guilt. He does not bring it up again to use it against us. He moves forward. He moves toward you. He doesn't move away. I want to ask you, does that characterize you? Or do you have just a low-level punishment factor going on in your life when people disappoint you? When they sin against you, when they hurt you. But there's more. You can't stop it. Chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says in chapter 5, 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what the kind of love that God calls you to? The forgiving love that he calls you to? The merciful conduct he calls you to? The heart change that he equips you for? It is the sacrificial love that's like Jesus. And you can be sure of this, as others have hurt you, and you know it and you remember it, it is going to, you're going to feel the cost of sacrificial love toward those people. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your rights, and you're going to come before the Lord, and you're, you're going to be able to say, Lord, just like you forgave me in Jesus, just like you acted on my behalf, just like it cost Jesus, you understand it's going to cost you. You're going to feel it. Mercy will be felt. It costs Jesus, it's going to cost you. And Colin Smith, I, th- I think, says it as good as anyone. In that book, Momentum, which you should buy and you should read, he says, mercy is broader than forgiveness. Forgiveness, though, goes further than mercy. God is calling you for further things. Not just to be merciful to the world around you, but your mercy will translate into being forgiving toward others. Jesus says the merciful are blessed, meaning they know happiness. Why do they know happiness? Because they know and they lived. I received mercy and I am ongoingly receiving mercy. So I'm able to give it. And as you do, mercy gets multiplied to you. It's linked together. Do not trivialize the magnitude of this call for mercy. You're not going to live your life like a victim. You can learn to know the joy of being honest with God. That you, yes, have been a victim at times. You are also a victimizer. Of other people. And Jesus stands ready to set you free. Mercy will take you further. It enables you to forgive. It gets specific. And only kingdom people will be capable of being truly set free. And I'm going to ask you, will you ask God to grant you mercy? And will you ask God to grant you to be merciful? And I'm going to ask you to do it starting right now. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. For the next few minutes, I want to ask you to be still and to be quiet and to not disturb others. In fact, I believe that God wants to set some of you on a path of freedom from bitterness and anger that you've not known before. And there will be some of you who will in the days ahead be working to restore relationships that have grown cold because you've lacked mercy. There's been a lack of mercy on your part. So it's the time now to pray scripturally. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me in the path of everlasting life.
So what's your action toward God? Are you, are you in agreement with Him? What He calls sin invites you today before Him to be calling it the same thing. Some of you for the very first time, right here, right now, on this day will say, God, I am the sinner. Will you save me from my attitude and actions that are against you? Will you you give me Jesus? Give me his righteousness and free me from my bitterness and my lack of mercy. What is your attitude, believer, toward those who sinned against you, who are not like you? Hey, are you merciful to the politics that are opposite of you? To the beliefs and lifestyles that by the grace of God are not yours. They could be yours, but they're not. Are you growing in compassion? Right now there's people coming to your mind who've hurt you. And today I invite you to confess before the Lord and abandon any old attitude that you've had about that person and adopt a new attitude. That person owes me nothing. Their sin is ultimately against God and you're no longer going to grow bitter. You're not going to stay there any longer. What is your mercy toward others? Do you stand ready to forgive and live at peace with others, even growing tender-hearted toward them? Something that only God can make happen. Will you ask God to give you a tender heart, to grant you a different outlook? In order for you to grow as a believer, to be a kingdom person, it's going to pass through mercy and forgiveness. Otherwise, you're stuck. And some of you this morning, that should be your prayer. Oh God, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I hurt and I'm stuck. Free me. Maybe today, begin to ask God to get you unstuck and to move toward change. Mercy awaits the merciful.